the families that come and see you in your clinic, the one thing that they could walk away with knowing is what their feeding role is and what their child's feeding role is. Because most of the problems with picky eating start and continue because we've flip-flopped or reversed our roles and we're facing power struggles and we're just kind of confused because we're doing our child's job and our child's trying to do our job. Are you ready to transform the way you communicate about nutrition with your patients? Welcome to Exam Room Nutrition, the podcast where the worlds of nutrition, medicine, and communication collide. Whether you're a seasoned physician or a healthcare student, this podcast is for you. So stick around and let's make our patients healthier one exam room at a time. Hello and welcome back to Exam Room Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Colleen Sloan. I'm a registered dietitian and pediatric PA. Our topic this week is going to resonate with a lot of listeners because we're rolling up our sleeves and we're going to be tackling our picky eaters. So whether you work in pediatrics or not, I know a lot of my listeners are parents, so this will definitely help you professionally and possibly personally. I am thrilled to be able to introduce my guest today, Ashley Smith. She is a Christian wife, mama of three littles, registered dietitian nutritionist, and owner of Veggies and Virtue. She's the host of a top-ranked podcast for nutrition called the Veggies and Virtue Podcast. Ashley is passionate about encouraging moms in the mealtimes, the messes, the moments, and ministry of motherhood. You can follow her at Veggies and Virtue. And Ashley, I know your time is so valuable, and I greatly appreciate you being here. Thank you for giving us the gift of your time. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Colleen. I'm excited to be here. All right. So we're going to jump right in and help our listeners really navigate this really massive, challenging topic of picky eating. But I I wanted to dive in a little bit before we start and having you define exactly what is picky eating. Do you like that term or that label? And help us to understand the nuances behind that phrase. Yeah, absolutely. So I think picky eating can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. I think professionally, we can see it in some constructs. And then as parents, we know it in a different way. I know as a pediatric dietitian, I thought I would never have picky eaters. And then I saw what that looked like with my own kids and kind of found that crossroad of how to navigate the two. So I think the definition um, is important for practitioners to understand, but I think it's also important for us to know if a parent comes in saying, my child's really picky, we need to understand what do they mean by that? Because if we ask them really simply, tell me what you mean by picky, they're going to give us a definition that doesn't necessarily meet the textbook definition, but it's going to give us more insight into what are their pain points? What are their struggles? What are the concerns that they're bringing this up to us? And then we can kind of navigate the conversation accordingly. When we look at specifically what picky eating is in the picky eating space, we do want to be aware of where it's more extreme picky eating or maybe more indicative of like a pediatric feeding disorder versus kind of your more average age appropriate picky eating that kids may grow out of easily and on their own, but also may need a little assistance kind of growing out of. So I do think, you know, discerning that difference as a practitioner is helpful, but also getting that insight and those specific examples from a parent can help us better define it in the concept of how to talk to our clients about it. I think that's a great place to start is really asking like, what do you mean that your child is picky to determine if they truly are a selected eater or if they're just a normal toddler. So I love that you start there. Let's dig a little bit deeper at the start of 
helping us know an age appropriate picky eater versus the difference between maybe something medical going on or a truly significant selective eater that would warrant further investigation or maybe a referral. Can you distinguish between those two patients and what they would look like? So when we look at average age appropriate picky eating and more extreme versions, there are some kind of key points to keep in mind, but we don't ever want to hone in too much on one of them. One of those is age. So if we're looking at a kind of typical picky eater, you know, oftentimes we do associate it with a certain age group of kind of, you know, between ages, maybe 18 months, upwards of six, you kind of may see the onset of it. But several kids are picky eaters, especially if it goes unaddressed or if they don't have the right feeding behaviors and feeding environment in place in the home, it may, you know, persist through later in childhood and early adolescence and so on. The age of onset can be helpful because we can sometimes track, was there anything else going on in their medical history at that point in time? So if we can see that, you know, on their growth chart, we see something clearly happened at a specific point, or if we know something in their medical history happened at a certain time, correlating that with what their eating habits may be. I see it a lot in the social dynamic as well. Was there any big life event, family event? What other things were situationally happening that might have played a role in the picky eating? With a child who has more kind of average age-appropriate picky eating, we'll see that ebb and flow and preferences just kind of come and go. But we'll still see that they're able to eat from most food groups. Of course, vegetables is one of the ones that really is a stitch in parent's side. That and protein typically tend to be the ones that parents have the most concern about. But oftentimes they can still get their nutritional needs met from other food groups. When we look at it in terms of the number of foods that a child eats, oftentimes when we look at the research or when you look at some of the data on picky eating and more extreme forms of picky eating like a pediatric feeding disorder, The numbers usually given are if a child eats more than 30 foods, it's considered kind of average picky eating. And if they eat less than 20 foods, it would be extreme picky eating. The reason similar to the age group, I wouldn't stick just to the age or the number of foods is because parents often underestimate. So if you said, well, how many foods does your child eat? A parent often will say, oh, like five. Well, with a little deeper dive, usually there's more than five. It just feels like there's only these five foods. And so an extreme picky eater would be less than 20. And so we want to be discerning, you know, when this onset happened, did this correlate to an age or situational life event or medical history, or is this one that has been getting progressively worse? And then we also want to be looking at the number of foods that the child might be eating. But if you notice that they truly only have very, very few foods, they're omitting certain food groups. That might be indicative that it's a little bit more extreme version of picky eating or that the parents don't have the tools to know how to help their child grow out of it. The third thing I would say that I think is really important to evaluate is what is the emotional toll on the child and on the parent? Because oftentimes, kind of your average picky eater, depending on if it's a parent's first child or fifth child, if it's something that they didn't expect or haven't experienced, it can create a lot of just emotional toll on the parent and the child. So if we see really extreme emotional outbursts or reactions and responses to different foods from a child, that may indicate this is more extreme, that they're physically uncomfortable in front of this food. Their outburst is not something that could even be behaviorally managed if you know proper feeding behaviors were in place, but this is them showing that this is actually something that we need to work through and may require, you know, more feeding therapy and some kind of more support for the family. 
Equally so, if the parents are so stressed out and they're just at their wits end and they're not able to even foster that kind of feeding environment to support their child, that may be indicative that, again, they may not have the support or the tools that they need or that this is just becoming such a big problem that it's not something that the parent can look at and even productively or proactively know how to approach because it's just become such a big problem that it's really impacted the entire family's feeding environment and overall relationship with food. So I think kind of looking at age, number of foods that the child eats, and the emotional impact are probably some of the three core areas that would be the quickest and most effective areas to identify and kind of hone in on. So you can see, is this something that's more manageable and seems more age appropriate that the child with proper support might be able to grow out of? Or is this something that we may need to medically address or get the family additional support for? Those three criteria are extremely helpful because now we can kind of just put those in three different buckets to address and discuss with the parent at that well check. Now, I wanted to back up and talk about age a little bit deeper. Are there certain ages we expect some changes in food preferences or expect some pickier eating? Yes, I think usually we expect to hear parents say, my child ate amazing as an infant. They ate everything. They're going to give you the examples of the things that they really had their parent confidence in early on, and then they stopped eating it. That's usually kind of the prototypical picky eater. If a child showed pickiness from the onset of solids being introduced, again, it's not saying that it absolutely indicates a you know more extreme version of picky eating, but it may be indicative that there was something from the get-go that they just weren't able to eat effectively and you know developmentally there's something else going on but for an age of onset usually you know as most of us working in pediatrics we're very familiar with the growth chart and so as we look at the rate of growth declining from infancy into toddlerhood we also want to think about the level of appetite is also trending with that and so parents are not as privy to that growth chart and they don't have that visual in their head as much so oftentimes they're saying they ate great up until around 12 months, 18 months, two years. Sometimes we see it happen a little bit later, but that's almost because you're kind of in a honeymoon phase or kind of coasting along where their growth had slowed down as it should. Their appetite was starting to decrease, but some of the feeding behaviors might have been able to kind of coast a little bit longer where the parents didn't see it as a problem until closer to four, five, or six, or once the kid starts going to school and some of the problems start becoming a little bit more apparent. So what can we say to the parent who, after our discussion, we realize that they don't have a picky eater. How can we reassure the parent that they've got a great eater without minimizing their concerns? So I think it's a great question because recognizing that the emotional toll of the perception of picky eating, majority of the families I work with don't have extreme picky eaters. But I would say the emotional toll of feeding their child is very extreme. It's job we can't get out of. Our kids need to eat multiple times a day, whether we find it easy and effortless or extremely overwhelming and exhausting. So I think to recognize that feeding kids can feel hard, but we can make it simple because it feels very, very overwhelming and intricate. And there's just a, you know information overload out there for parents, but for them to know what resources to turn to and to know what roles to stick to is really important. The families that come and see you in your clinic, the one thing that they could walk away with knowing is what their feeding role is and what their child's feeding role is. Because most of the problems with picky eating start and continue because 
we've flip-flopped or reversed our roles and we're facing power struggles and we're just kind of confused because we're doing our child's job and our child's trying to do our job. So if as clinicians, we can help parents understand that at the most basic understanding of it, a parent's job is what food is offered, when that food is offered, and where that food is offered. The child gets to decide if they eat and how much they eat. And almost every problem that that comes up is going to fall into either needing to develop skill in those areas or needing to step away from a role that you maybe a parent or a child has assumed that's not theirs to carry. Most commonly, a child is picking what they want to eat, when they want to eat, and where they want to eat it. A parent is trying to tell their child if they're going to eat and how much they're going to eat. And so we see immediately where those challenges can go. But I think if the one thing we can convey to them and communicate to them very quickly is this responsive feeding approach, that's a resource that they could look to and find a lot of different resources for, but to help them understand you have a feeding role. As long as you're doing that, kind of average picky eater will grow out of it over time with that support and structure in place. I love that division of responsibility and it's challenging, right? As moms, it's really hard. It's easy to say, but to put into practicality, it can be very challenging, but you're right. It is extremely rewarding when those roles are defined and followed appropriately. So that's a great tip that clinicians can quickly just delineate whose role is what and how they can do that. I think what we'll do is we'll dig into that a little bit more because I know some listeners and a lot of parents, when I give that suggestion of you need to allow your child to decide how much to eat and whether they eat, they look at me like I have horns. You know, they look at me like I'm crazy and I'm trying to starve their child. So I'd love for you to come back so we can delve a little bit deeper into how we can help our parents deal with if the patient refuses to eat a meal, what we can do for that. So I want to wrap up today though with one final thought for parents who might have gotten this wrong early on, you know, they struggled with this. They had the divisions of responsibilities all out of whack. How can we let them know that there's still hope for their picky eater? And what can we say to help them get back on the right track? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is, is for parents to recognize that we're all works in progress. You know, I've known I wanted to be a pediatric dietitian since 14, and I'm still constantly surfacing things of my own relationship with food and within that of my family because I'm feeding my kids. And so as we all know, as parents, different opportunities arise that kind of trigger different things that we didn't even know exist. So I think for parents to tune in to how they're feeling about it, but to recognize you can always start somewhere. It's important enough to invest in at whatever point it becomes something that's important to you and that you can, you know, start to prioritize and be intentional about, but to recognize that you're never too far gone. Your child's never too picky and that it's going to be something that you never have to feel like I have to get this right before I can do it with my child, but we can learn how to work through this process together because some of the biggest wins I see with families are when the parents really embrace going through the process alongside their child and not feeling like it's something that they have to do to their child. And so for parents just to really realize like your family can adopt this approach at any point that, you know, you can invest in the um, intentionality and effort that goes along with it. That's extremely helpful and extremely hopeful, you know, because I know sometimes you're thinking, oh gosh, my 10 year old is never going to eat anything besides chicken nuggets and mac and cheese. But I love that it's never too late. 
Um, so I love to finish our episode with a fun question to leave our listeners, but yet it's very practical. What would you say would be one thing that a clinician should never say to a parent of a picky eater or maybe to that child directly? What would be something that is extremely unhelpful or possibly harmful that we should absolutely never say? Yeah, I think the biggest one that I probably hear from the parents that they may have heard from clinicians at certain times that I would kind of steer clear of is that of you have to eat it or just let them eat whatever they'll eat. Because either way, it's giving parents a little bit of a sense of false hope that they're either going to outgrow it on their own and just let the kid eat whatever they're going to eat and thus be in charge of the what and the when and the where in the feeding relationship. Or that parents feel this pressure to, they're maybe controlling the what, when, and where, but they're also controlling the if, whether, and how much the child eats. And so I think if we can point them towards, this is your role, this is your responsibility, this is what you can do, it can help perpetuate positive feeding behaviors for the family, a healthier relationship with food for the child and the parent and the family as a whole. But it's not giving parents something that they say, oh, well, if the pediatrician said, just let them eat whatever they'll eat or that they have to eat whatever I put in front of them, we can kind of find that happy medium between the two that offers a more responsive feeding approach. What excellent answers, Ashley. You are truly the expert. I have gleaned so much from you in just our quick chat. I would love to have you back. And all of our listeners, please be looking forward to the next time we have Ashley back. We're going to get into some more specific details on helping you navigate your picky eating patients. Ashley, thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much for having me today. It was great to chat with you. All right, guys, now it's time for my nutrition notes. In this section, I'll share nutrition tips, favorite quotes, or interesting cases that I think might add value to your day. So today I actually have a quote from Albert Einstein, and he said, I have no special talent. I'm only passionately curious. And I hope to leave you with that curiosity. Continue learning. Continue to be a lifelong learner, especially in things that you might not be the master of already, right? Continue to be curious and spark that excitement to learn new things. Well, that's all we have for today. I'm so grateful that you joined me today, and I really hope that you found value in our conversations and that you can glean something from this discussion that will impact you to have more helpful, useful conversations during your busy clinic day. If you found value in this content, please like and subscribe to my page. You can also find me on Instagram at Zamroom Nutrition. Well, that's it for now. So let's continue to make our patients healthier one exam room at a time.